Hey everyone, for this week's episode, I talked with my friend Hattie about her journey to faith, coming from an Orthodox Jewish background, her thoughts on young people, and anti-Semitism in the church. It's an awesome experience to be able to talk with your friends and find new insights and unique perspectives from their backgrounds to speak to our issues going on today. Hope you enjoy. Hey there, Hattie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty swell. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I, uh, I'm Hattie. Last name is Cohen. <laughs> um, I am a Jewish Episcopalian who also happens to be a lesbian. Um, so a bit of a conundrum there. <laughs> Um, well, what are you what are you up to these days? Uh, I'm about to move to New York in a couple of days. You uh, hauling through the East Coast for my girlfriend. Um, looking for a job. Uh, Going to start college pretty soon, which is exciting. Hopefully, looking to enter seminary at some point. Let's talk a little bit to start. You had a great essay in Earth and Altar talking about your background, your experience coming into this relationship with Jesus that you kind of came into in a, I think in this really creative way. Um, I mean, your presence on Twitter is always much appreciated. Uh, you you talk a lot about sort of your relationship with, with God can be a tumultuous experience and it, it makes a good parallel for the world of like Christian mom bloggers in the world, uh, which I enjoy. So can you, Talk a little bit about your your background and then sort of coming into faith now. So growing up, I was raised in a very conservative Jewish household. Um, at about 12, we became very religious. We were Hasidish. If anybody knows, uh, we were specifically Lubavitch. Um, so very strict uh, Orthodox Jews. Um, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, and when we were about, when I was about 13, uh, we moved to a Jewish community. And, you know, I moved in next to a girl who was being abused by her stepfather. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people talk a lot about the abuse crisis in the church, in the Catholic church. Um, but it's not so much a Catholic church issue as it tends to be like an organized religion issue. So mm -hmm. the Orthodox community sees a lot of that as well. And uh, mm -hmm. the same sort of hierarchical power exists there. And um, so my family went through a very difficult time trying to help this girl out, which led to me being kicked out of my school and losing all my friends. Um, and, you know, it all came to a rest at, you know, when I turned 16. And I was very broken at that point, uh, kind of raw spiritually, um, losing trust in God completely, didn't really know if he was there or what he was trying to do. And, you know, one day I, uh, I hadn't slept and I woke up and somebody that I trust very dearly sent me a text. And all it said was we were wrong our people were wrong 
And I can't explain it in any rational sense, but the word Jesus rang through my head and it was terrifying (laughs) to say the least. Um, They sent me the Bible verse, Isaiah 53, and I read through it uh, and I went to sleep knowing that everything had changed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it took a good half a year of studying and I came to find that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, and for a couple of years there, I was what's called a Messianic Jew. So, you know, I held to Orthodox tradition still, and I would have never considered myself a Christian. Like anybody that tried to call me that would get an earful from me because, <laughs> because I did not want to be associated with that word or that community or that culture because everything I'd seen from it just upset me very much. It wasn't until I stumbled across a group of uh, Coptic Orthodox folks actually, that like sat me down and taught me about the Eucharist. Um, And at that point I was like, well, God, if I was wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? So I went back before, you know, the evangelical Protestant culture became a thing (laughs) because that was a lot of what I was internalizing. Um, And I started reading the church fathers and a bunch of Christian tradition. And I realized uh, (laughs) that I wanted to convert to Catholicism. Um, mm-hmm. and at that point I was 18, so two years had passed. Um, and so for a year I pursued conversion in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that one year point, I started struggling, you know, I'd always struggled with my sexuality in a sense. I had always known I was attracted to women, but in Judaism, homosexuality is not approached the same way it is in Christianity. How so? Biblically speaking, lesbian relationships were not condemned. It actually, in Judaism, it was not condemned until the 1500s when a rabbi came out and said, oh, because of this other part in the Bible that says we shouldn't be like the Egyptians and the Egyptians uh, practiced lesbianism, that's the reason why we shouldn't do that either. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but that stuck in the culture. Like it's not seen as as big of a deal. Um, And there's a bunch of other reasons why, but that's one of the main ones. So uh, I'd always... You know, I'd never internalized any hatred for it. I just kind of figured that, (laughs) I mean, this is, this sounds very sad, but it's just kind of, you know, the culture I lived in, which is when gay people in Jewish communities get married, they enter relationships with the opposite sex. But generally the understanding is that you're both gay and you have to have kids but you can do what you want on the side. 
Um, so, you know, and I'd grown up with a girl who had parents like that. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, okay, I can live with that. And it wasn't until I became a Christian that I started internalizing a lot of self-hatred. Um, so, so the 16 until 18, I was struggling terribly with that part of myself. And someone told me that in the New Testament, homosexuality wasn't actually condemned. You know, there was a mistranslation with the Greek. Uh, like, oh, that's interesting. So I studied that <laughs> again, and I came to the conclusion that, okay, maybe this isn't wrong, but the Catholic Church says it's wrong. So now what do I do? And unfortunately, you know, I came, like you said, I'm on Twitter. I came out on Twitter while I was still in the Catholic circles. I was bullied horrendously for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it drove me out of the church, essentially. I found myself a bit homeless, um, but I met some mm-hmm. very nice Episcopalians and Anglicans who mm-hmm. made me feel at home. Um, so now I am trying to get confirmed <laughs> to the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... One thing I, I hear a lot in your story is, well, first off, there's this, there's a big moment of what if everything I've been growing up in is wrong? And that is, I think, a, a big feeling. I think for a lot of people across, let's say, like a religious spectrum where you have people who who are coming out of different religious practices and either being disillusioned or 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 hurt or coming across different ideas and that really shakes them but one thing that I think is interesting is that when you come into not only contact through studying sort of like the early church and church fathers but having people kind of personally talk about their experiences with a different perspective on faith that seemed to help you find uh, find an in um so going back to that part about the the work of the oriental orthodox kind of teaching more about the Eucharist, what about that was surprising and interesting to you the first time that maybe you heard that? I was fascinated that Christians exist, that there were Christians that existed that held on to tradition. Like Orthodox Judaism mm-hmm. is heavy on tradition and keeping traditions of your mm-hmm. ancestors. And that was very, very important to me. And you know, from, from what I'd seen from Protestants and less observant Catholics, um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of that going on. Uh, and then, you know, talking to these folks who lived a faith that was very, 
very entrenched in tradition and symbolism fascinated me. And I wanted to learn more. And I, I also feel a lot of that yeah. where I, um, when I'm trying to figure out my own faith, have been working through going through reading others, but also hearing personal experiences was really helpful. And that's kind of why I also came to the Episcopal Church because I had all of a sudden I met a very nice old priest who invited me to have coffee with him and then just explain where I was and how I had moved across country uh, and what I was feeling and also a little bit about prayer and about the Episcopal Church and what it what it stood for and that felt really nice to both have, I think, my my interests discussed, but also have someone sort of share their personal side from something that was so different than what I had grown up in, in like a non-denominational Protestant world. But one thing that I also think is uh, interesting is that you had really were interested in these traditional and liturgical spheres. So can you talk a little bit about why that was still super attractive for you? I think because it felt familiar. Yeah. Uh, I figured, you know, if, if I have to do this thing where I convert, I have to lose everything I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And that was really scary. Um, mm-hmm. And this felt more familiar to me. I was able to connect the dots to my own religion that had raised me. I was able to see uh, where certain things in Christian tradition had come from in mm-hmm. Jewish tradition. And it made me feel less isolated um, from, you know, my whole life, really. That's something really, I'm interested in this sort of tradition, but also like this, this tradition in a way that's about sort of like family and like ritual through time that we can, like that we can do something that other folks have done and that we're supposed to think of them as part of our family and a part of us. I just got done reading a, a little book um, being Christian by Rowan Williams and he talks about how part of part of the Bible is seeing sort of the our long lost distant relatives like these dingy uh, these dingy folks from the past and realizing that they're part of our family and we have to deal with it um, and I think that um, liturgy and tradition helps to feel that really alive um, I don't know if, if that resonates with how you feel about that, but that's that's something that I, I think about a lot. Is that there's this connection not only to to like history, but to others at the same time who've done this. And that feels really comforting. Oh yeah. Knowing that you're a part of something much bigger than yourself. Um, especially when you think about how many of these traditions literally stemmed back from Jesus himself, it makes you feel more connected to your God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
and like you said, everybody that came before you, because, you know, communion of the saints, we're all a family. Um, right. And I think it helps you feel that way instead of just, you know, intellectually knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I find that I mentioned earlier so refreshing is that sometimes you uh, you express your your frustration at God, uh, and I I find that to be both really exhilarating and also very comforting. Um, but also, I think it's it's a really interesting perspective. Can you, without you know having to open up your wounds, but can you talk a bit more about that? It's funny. I actually recently wrote an essay called "No, I Don't Like God" um, that <laughs> I posted on my Patreon, which you know essentially it's the fact that me and God had a very steady relationship for a while there, and then it kind of threw me for a loop. <laughs> where he was, you know, he didn't ask me to follow Jesus. He demanded I follow Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after 16 years of telling me one thing, he was telling me something else. Mm-hmm. And he's asking me to trust him. But for me, it's like, you know, why should I trust you? I, you know, it had felt like he'd lied to me my whole life. Why should I trust you? You lied to me. Mm-hmm. Um. And I still struggle. Like the more I interact with the Christian community, the more I struggle because I see the vast differences. I see how much hatred there was and is for my people. And I keep asking myself, why did you lead me here? Why do you want me with these people that hate me so much? Um, And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think even in the Bible, we see people struggling with God, literally Jacob fighting God and winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moses and him having arguments, Abraham, you know, debating with him. I think it's a very normal thing to struggle with God. I don't think God wants us to follow him like slaves to a dictator. I think when he created us, he wanted a relationship. And I think a part of a relationship with a being that you can't see. Yeah. And that is so unpredictable is going to be kind of tumultuous sometimes. Right. If not all the time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he, he demands our loyalty because he's a jealous God, but he does not demand that we follow him with a smile. There is... The, the, the conviction I hear in you is something that I remember sticking out in your, your essay where you say, like, when it comes to being a lesbian, like, I did, that you had to be, because this is how God made you. Like, this was a part of not only just created being, but, like, part of the purpose in your story, and that God was like, do this, be this. And can you just, can you open a little more about how that feels now? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I mean, yeah, after, 
I mean, to be vulnerable, trying to hide a piece of me and pretend I was something else caused a lot of emotional trauma and a Mm. lot of damage. I would go through massive depressive episodes anytime I even thought of a woman in any way that wasn't deemed appropriate, you know? Uh, And I trained myself to just start hating them. I was very much anti-feminist, trad girl (laughs) (laughs) persona, you know, Uh um, very much separated myself from womanhood as much as I could because I was terrified of liking one. Um, So it was better to demonize them. Mm -hmm. And coming to terms with you know, maybe my attractions aren't evil allowed me to stop hating myself uh, and other women, which obviously is a massive blessing. Um, I'm definitely not the person I was last year. And, you know, it's like, it's like a big relief that comes off of you when you realize you can be exactly who God made you. Yeah. And isn't it, isn't it so helpful? I, I think I, I talked a little bit about this last couple of weeks with Angel that um, that like loving yourself helps you kind of love others. When you're when you're okay with yourself, it it makes it easier to see others in their struggles and maybe sort of offer offer some grace to them when god says to love others in the same way you love yourself it kind of denotes that you have to love yourself like yeah. you can't you can't look at yourself in a demeaning way and then look at look at the rest of the world with grace <laughs> you know you're you're your own biggest critic but if you're being terrible to yourself how are you treating everyone else that's something that i always have wrestled with uh because i am i'm always someone who is because i'm living with me all the time and it's easier i think for me to um see my own faults and then try to uh you know, try to help others and try to love others. But it kind of just comes up short because I'm missing the the foundation because I don't think that God's grace or love or care for creation applies to me. Um, and so that, that creates a lot of problems. Um, but another thing I think that, that you touched on that was that's really poignant is this idea that um, why would God bring you into a space where there are people and ideas that, that you say hate you? So that's talking about the idea of think about anti-semitism not only in like 
the mainline Protestant world, but in Christianity more general. Um, but really, what can, what would you say if you could sit all the, all the Christians in the room and be like, listen, this is what you should know. This is how you should try to stop being so, so casually anti-Semitic in how you talk about the faith. The man you worship is my direct ancestor. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I come from the same place Jesus was born. My family, you know, came directly from Palestine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I share blood with your God and you think that it's okay to hate me and pretend you're also not hating the person you worship. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned your entire relationship lays on a foundation that Jews built. The entire early church were a bunch of Jews, a lot like me. <laughs> loud kind of obnoxious things you don't like and mm-hmm. what does that say about your faith what are you worshiping now what are you mm-hmm. you know because I think some of this tends to be that a lot of Christians are not worshiping God they're worshiping their religion they're worshiping their culture yeah. um and they're worshiping a God that does not exist. A, pic- Ooh, a picture okay. of him that isn't real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to break those walls down in order to see more clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where have you seen that recently? Most evangelical circles and definitely in traditional mm-hmm. Catholic I think this is more so a problem in America than it is anywhere else, or at least in the Western world in general. Um, this picture of a, of a white Jesus, mm-hmm. which kind of snowballs into all of these other problems that I think the Christian church has now. <laughs> um, I mean, there's also this, this thing that I didn't have words for, but I am learning sort of the words for now, especially when Christians talk about like in, in quote unquote, the God of the old Testament versus the God of the new Testament. Like that's all God is the same in both ladies and gentlemen. You know, I don't make a fuss out of this because I don't think there's much of a point, but I think that the term old and new is really stupid. Uh, yeah. Bust out the hot Addy. Do huh? it. Bust out the hot takes. You know, there's, there's nothing old about the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ came and he became the embodiment of the Torah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not old. He, he's a new creation and he's alive. <laughs> And you're going to call that the Old Testament? What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) There was a first and now there's a second. And, you know, one is not more important than the other. When Christ came, he specifically said, I didn't come to Mm -hmm. destroy the first covenant. 
I came to fulfill it. I came to become it, mm -hmm. literally. Uh, and there's this idea that right. now we get to pretend it doesn't exist. Exactly. My drop. Um, so the other thing yeah. that is also fascinating that uh, folks won't be able to tell, or maybe they'll be able to tell through a podcast, is that uh, we are both young people in a, in a fairly old demographic-wise uh, space in Christianity. Uh, yet you, as I understand, want to also be a priest. So how can especially in a church that relies a lot on its older folks. What would you say to sort of, is something that's largely attractive to young folks? And how can we, I guess my other way of saying this is, what can the Episcopal church learn about young folks so that it can see why there are young people who are, who, are, who are darkening their church doors. I think a lot of the young folks we're seeing enter the Episcopal Church are trans and gay people that are being run away from mm -hmm. the churches they've been raised in. So these aren't just young folks, these are black sheep. These are yeah. people that are being exiled and hurt by, their, by what they've been raised in, and they're looking for a home. Mm -hmm. And I think, honestly, I think in a couple of years, we're going to see a big shift in the Episcopal Church. You know, all of these older folks, mm -hmm. I don't mean to be brash. Um, <laughs> Do it. Be a little brash. They're going to die. And eventually, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a not necessarily a takeover, but the majority are going to be these black sheep. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I, I wish that the Episcopal Church would start recognizing what its future is going to look like and start uh, making, you know, more definitive stances on certain things, uh, you know, in recent news their wishy-washy demeanor towards gay people yeah. <laughs> but I think they can learn from you know I think they can learn from these young people coming in that they have a very strong faith you know they were hurt but they didn't say okay I'm done with God they said okay where can I go that'll let me have God and be who I am at the same time and mm -hmm. that takes a very strong will and a, a powerful move of the spirit, I think. Um, so in terms of, you know, what we can learn from people like us, I think there's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's, I mean, that's such an, an encouraging image to think about is how the church can be not only not only will it consist of but it will be led by all of those folks that will be 
that are and have been marginalized and not listened to, but they will be the ones leading the charge to care and walk humbly and do justice and love God and others. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, thank you so much for joining me, Patty. My pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Okay. Well, I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, you just listened to Pod Have Mercy, a podcast hosted by me, Jackson Davey, and produced by myself and Christ in St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in Norfolk, Virginia. If you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share this with your friends and leave a review. For all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.